0: Navigating the Datascape with Porter Chavez and special guests.
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Datascape podcast. Today, we are going to talk about cloud security strategies for business with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Kevin Peterson. Kevin, you want to introduce yourself to the audience, please? Sure. So,
0: uh, my name's Kevin Peterson. I've been with uh, Pythian for coming up on eight years now. Um, I'm uh, an information security practitioner and enthusiast who has, uh, uh, over the last number of years, uh, kind of extended my practices into the cloud. Um, my official title here is a, as a solution architect
1: for the uh, cloud ops line of business. What else can I say? So how, how how you said that obviously you've been a Python for a very long time. What's your total year count in IT even before Python?
0: Oh, total year count. I would have started so uh, yeah. 1997 was uh, so 24 years in uh, in
1: in IT. All right, that's that's a, that's crazy. That's a great trajectory. So as somebody that has you know obviously been in the industry for a long time. How have you perceived since we're obviously going to focus on security strategies? Let's start with this. Uh, you've been here now through you know the basically the the birth of the internet connected enterprise yep. into you know the uh in starting people to co locate and then uh, virtualize a lot of workloads and now obviously going to the cloud. How have you perceived the change in positioning and mindset in regards to security? through the you know at least at this point three decades yeah Wow. Well, um start with an easy question eh? <laughs> <laughs> so i mean the
0: main thing that i've seen is the scope increase right so yeah. when, when i started it was very common in small businesses anyway to have right to have a little uh, closet in the back of the office and you might have like a Novell server back there or something like that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It was file and print, um, you know. Um, I was kind of at the end of high school and in college when the World Wide Web was was kind of born. But, um, you know, I, I clearly remember before that, that it was, you know, it was uh, bulletin board servers and and uh, modem banks that you dialed into and stuff like that. And, and most of the resources that you could access online were local. Um, so then uh right the uh, as the as the time went on and the internet kind of uh kind of grew and and got built out um and and everybody got connected and then protocols like like um you know the, the world wide web and html and, and stuff like that became prevalent and started to mature then you know the scope of the information that you had available was increasing and also the scope of the information that you could share and the methods by which you could you could share them, um, increase quite a bit. Um, when I got started in kind of enterprise, um, uh, uh businesses, um, okay. you know, it was, it was, there was a, there was a server room and yeah, it, it was locked and you had, right. You had a, you had a key or a swipe badge or, or whatever to get into it. And only the right, only the administrators could get in there and, and there was you know one or two throats to choke if uh something went wrong and uh um uh, and and it was kind of uh, there was kind of a boundary to that and again it was it was the office and you probably had an internet connection but it might have gone through like a proxy server or something like that. And it was, um, you know, it just wasn't as um, open in scope as Mm -hmm. as, as these days. And then as things matured, I remember the advent of, um, you know, Citrix. I remember Citrix being a new product and, uh, you know, managed services environments being a big thing kind of in the early 2000s. Um, And I got the opportunity to kind of put together and manage services around, um, you know, Uh, MSP like environments um, where, you know, from a security perspective, you had you kind of had control of the environment and you would share it with your clients and they would come in and they would have restricted access and you would Mm -hmm. apply your policies in that environment or whatever. And, um, you know, you would have uh, you would have a a pretty, uh, pretty tight control over things. And then um right when the when the cloud happened um that was that was a big thing we went with there was a paradigm shift right okay yeah there was this movement to zero trust there was the need to authenticate every transaction like you couldn't you couldn't necessarily base your security on your location, uh, yeah. or, or the or the location of the person that was accessing the services, you had to be sure that every transaction and every connection and every session was authenticated and trust established that you that you knew who that person was. Um,
1: is know. that is that one of the biggest changes between managing security and mindset of security on prem versus cloud? The fact that on prem, you know, if you had a mostly disconnected um network environment and anything you know people would think anything that is you know accessing my server from inside my network i'm just going to assume that i can trust right it's my employees or it's my own infrastructure etc yeah obviously like you said now we move into the cloud environment where you could potentially be reachable from anywhere in the world right
0: yeah, i mean i have to say that it's never been best practice to have you know that soft chewy center inside you <laughs> whatever right but but in practice that's the way it was at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s right you you logged into your system and you were connected to the network and from layer two up to layer four there was really no security right um and so I mean, when I'm back in the day when I was doing, um, you know, uh, technical audits and things like that, one of the right one of the ways that I would get into um, systems was to attack the network layer because it was Mm -hmm. so weak. It was typically very typically weak. Um, And I
1: find even even today in a lot of environments we see, for example, uh, something that would be trivial to implement by an IT uh, personnel would be some sort of like man in the middle when you're literally yeah. on-prem, right? Because yeah. a lot of the applications don't really authenticate the, right. the server, right? That's right.
0: There was a utility called uh, Edercap that I used to, used to be my favorite thing. You would spoof the MAC address of the internet gateway. And then you would, you know, you would catch people logging on to their Hotmail or their MSN at the time. And stuff yeah, like okay.
1: <laughs> and you would, Start you farming would, credentials. You would grab
0: their password and they would reuse that password that they had for their email for some of their corporate accesses. So you get into the database and you get into the network servers and, and file servers and things like that. And you'd be able to log in as any of these users, right? And that right, right up to the executive level those bad practices were happening Mm. so you could you could actually if you got right if you got onto a um if you got onto one of the um layer two three networks in a in a typical um office environment or whatever um you could pretty much break the whole thing open without too much trouble it didn't take you very long um
1: yeah I, i think this probably still happens a lot and in many on-prem systems or even in in, in there's there's this other thing where some people might move their weaknesses especially when you do like you know just lift and shift large environments from on-prem to cloud and you're basically moving your weakness from yeah uh, you know on-prem to the cloud like this thing for example not authenticating the server you're connecting to people will Yep. Do a VPC where everything everybody trusts each other inside the per- virtual private uh, network, right? Yeah. And then, and then you can do the same thing as long as you have access, right? You're like an IT person that wants to grab everybody else's passwords and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah. And I,
0: I, I mean, just going, kind of going back to how it, to how it's kind of uh, changed and stuff like that. When when wireless networks came out, like that was a big thing because you could, right? If you could. If you could crack the WPA security or whatever, which which wasn't too too tricky if you had the right tools, Um, you know, back then the compute wasn't as powerful as it is now. But um it, it might have taken you a little bit longer. But oh yeah,
1: no, I know a lot of people you, that were cracking. You were cracking, to, you were uh, cracking uh, passwords with you hacks. use their neighbor's Wi-Fi just. Yeah. <laughs> right. a, a
0: hexadecimal alphabet is sixteen characters. You can crack the you can crack a long password pretty easily. Right? Yeah, so, it's not that well, long. So you're, so you're on the network and you're not even within the building, right? You're, you're out right on the street. So, so it's really important to have, like, to your point, even on a VPC, right? It's really important not to use the default setup where everything has access to everything else within that environment, because, um, you know, you can, uh, um you can really compromise the um the the security and you and you increase the attack surface right um, yeah. the attack surface being the number of avenues that you have to to kind of attack the systems and applications that you have
1: deployed so so as you mentioned before obviously like you've done audits in the past before and you do yeah. it still today at Pithy and you advise clients about this stuff all the time so yeah. um what are what are you know the your core fundamental pillars where do you start when you look at uh, you know you're coming in to audit an existing environment or you're trying to design something greenfield in the cloud like where do you even begin to unravel this right because it's a it's a huge topic and it has so many different levels um how do you make cool. it easy for clients to like strategize on this
0: yeah. Um so one of the things that I always um stress and, and this is something that um uh again going way back, I, I once did a contract for Russ Cooper who was the um editor of NT Bug Track. Um which is like the uh back in the day it was the de facto um NT vulnerability tracking and and uh and kind of analysis uh, website right so you got your you got you got your windows nt security news from from okay. track and and they were the, kind of the first ones to to release things and he was interviewing me and he asked me what i thought the most important the most important component in a firewall system was and i i was younger and i thought i was an expert and i, I can't remember the answer i gave him but i was really surprised when he told me that what he thought was the most important was, was the logging capability, was the audit, was the visibility of the, of the connections of, the, of, of tracking what was going through your, your firewall, right? And that always stuck with me. The first thing I say is, do you have visibility into what's going on in mm. your network? Because how are you going to secure something if you don't know what's going on, right? So, what I always start with is audit and audit capability. Do you have your logs set up properly? Do you are you capturing the the, the telemetry that you need to capture from a security perspective um, to make sure that you have the information and the like? Said the the. Sort to use the vernacular right but the telemetry that you need to analyze and and make visible the things that you need to um in order to kind of catch things happening and and um and do analysis to understand what might need to be secured so understanding what traffic patterns are happening on your network for instance can um can be captured with flow logs on your vpc mm-hmm. um and understanding what's happening on your data structures can can um and who's accessing them and and what anomalies there might be and and where they're um, connecting from and things like that can happen by turning on uh, data access auditing um,
1: and how, how do you handle the problem of you know drinking from the fire hose right because obviously as environments get more complex, implementations get bigger. I mean, yeah. we have clients that have the infra in the three cloud providers at the same time, right? It's like, how do you keep that signal to noise ratio lower? Because then people also start to ignore things, right? If you're only yeah. always bringing up red flags, they, if they're all red, then they'll just stop like it's paying just... attention to it, right?
0: It's a tough problem, right? The scope is monstrous. Security encompasses everything. Um, and uh, right, one of the biggest. Um, One of the biggest uh, tools that you have in your um, in your arsenal, aside from, you know, just following best practices, I I mean, first things first, you need to there are established best practices for security that apply to the cloud and that apply to everything. Uh, The cloud is just a reinterpretation of of an infrastructure and service Mm -hmm. platform, right? Um, It's the data center writ large across the Internet or whatever. So um, you know, at the end of the day, you're you're applying the same uh, best practices and the same fundamentals um, to cloud services. Um, so it's important to keep that in mind. But the way that you that you um, filter the the signal overload, I guess, is um, is a, a, like anomaly detection and heuristics. So so a lot of the security tooling that's uh, that's out there that's available is around taking these huge um, streams of data and Mm. looking for um, right looking for the high sigma um, uh, uh, signals in them the odd things that don't seem to be happening regularly right the 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 oddball patterns that um, that pop up
1: in the in the signal. Yeah, you got to leverage modern tooling that will do this kind of like machine yeah. learning approach.
0: Yeah, it's to, not, to that not necessarily machine learning, it, it, it's heuristics and machine learning yeah. is an approach to that, right? Yeah. But it's things like, how do I detect if Sally, who always logs in from North America, suddenly starts logging in from Europe, mm-hmm. right? And, and how do I make sure that I have like right that i'm raising that in that i understand that she either went on a business trip or hey wait,
1: yeah they're not I a static to, rules because you're be logging
0: in from yeah. paris or whatever yeah right? all this
1: has to be dynamic these days right you can't have a set of just like if when clauses yeah. or you'll never be able to catch everything that can happen right no 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 you you, you can't you can't necessarily catch everything and that uh, a lot of um
0: right a lot of tooling has um, you know, kind of pre-canned um, uh, policies and things like that, that that help you to get on top of those types of things. But they're always writing more and they're never going to get on top of it completely. And that's where the, uh, you know, the AI tooling tends to come in, right? If you give... An AI model, if you train an AI model in, you know, a, a good collection of policies, then um, that AI model can start to detect things that are outside of the scope of the specific policy yeah. training them in and that helps helps to get on top of it. And the more data that we have available to us, the more important that sort of thing becomes. Um, but, I mean, I remember back in the day trying to get, you know, good coverage out of my IDS by writing, like we used uh, we used SNORT back in the day, which is an open source um, intrusion detection system that's not used okay. or whatever. And, right, we spent weeks and weeks and weeks writing and refining uh, policies, and yeah. that job never ended, right? <laughs> yeah. we, always had, we always had somebody going, hey, you know, let's... Let's refine this one, or let's add that one, or here's a new idea for um, um, for for a policy or a pattern that we need to um, be on top of and to and to detect. It's it's really hard, and it's a reactive kind of ongoing, thankless, <laughs> mundane job to kind of ma- maintain those things. So, taking advantage of tooling um, and uh, and specialist products um, and services is important to be able to. Um, to manage things like that
1: so so talking about this and obviously since we're talking about you know core security strategies for for business what about this is another problem that comes up quite a bit is the problem of who who watches the watchman right how how do we approach the level of access and i guess the same problem like the auditing and keeping that security team in check itself right
0: yeah, I mean, so the security team really should be keeping us in check as opposed to implementing um, security policies and we should be right security is something that's everybody's responsibility. You get the 7 of your, um, you know, your training courses and stuff like that. There's um, there's a high focus, especially with business folks, on you know data handling policies and, mm-hmm. and, and those sorts of things, and you know how to recognize and, and report phishing attacks and and those sorts of things. But from an IT perspective, we need to understand that security is a fundamental um, part of. On every IT practitioner and every administrator's job description, right? Like, it should be up to everyone to be keeping an eye on things and to be, um, you know, suggesting improvements and implementing improvements in the in the security posture of the organization in line with the information security policy that that's published by the security team. And the security team should be auditing uh providing some tooling and stuff like that but for example you know the audit stream that comes out of your cloud platform needs to go to the security team for analysis and to run through their SIEM tools and things like that but it's not up to them to give you access right it's it's up to them to support your Mm -hmm. um business function as a as a cloud administrator or um or deployment engineer or developer or or whatever it is Mm and that becomes even more important that everybody's involved in that security role and that it's not a role apart from other roles as we get into the idea of self service in the cloud right because here you here you open up yourself to um you know all kinds of dangers because you're giving You know, admittedly, smart guys, data scientists and data engineers and and things like that um, access to services and data so that they can do smart things with it. But if they don't have, um, you know, some security requirements and some guidelines and some controls around what they can do um, with the data that we're giving them access to, um, and and we just kind of say, "Hey, you're a smart guy. Let's give you access to to these awesome cloud services so that you can do what you need to do with the with the data." Then we're trusting them to mm. do the right thing with our data and to keep it secure, and that's not always the case. Um, so it makes it it makes it um, uh, tricky. And the biggest thing that I think about in terms of cloud computing and data security is, um, you know, how do I keep the self-service stuff under control? Like when I spin up a project and give it to department X,YZ in my organization, how do I know that they're going to do the right things and that they're not going to introduce big security holes in my um, in my cloud perimeter, right?
1: Yeah. And how, how do you, what do you usually advise to uh, people when they say, you know, how do we find or strike the balance between security and productivity, right? Because obviously the easiest thing would be totally open, everybody has access to this stuff, you know, deploy whatever services you want, but, you know, obviously that's at odds with, being able to have a super lockdown environment, but then a super lockdown environment. Sometimes people have struggled just with their day-to-day tasks because it's, it's too locked down at the same time, right?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a balance um, between them. the The biggest thing to that that helps us um, from that perspective is to keep environment separation. Um, okay. So. If I have an operational or a production environment that contains sensitive data or or production data or just valuable data that I don't want exposed, um, you know, that environment needs to be locked down and there needs to be one path for releasing um, code or services or configurations into that environment. Um, The one path to production is a big um, you know cloud deployment paradigm with with automation and everything and and the idea there is that you have automation your CI CD pipeline, which is everybody kind of knows that terminology continuous integration is the idea of testing your code to make sure that it's. Um, um, you know that it's secure that it's configured properly that it complies to policies that it works that it's functional and, and that it results in the uh, you know in the expected. Uh, um, Uh, configuration that you want it to and cd is continuous deployment which is the which is the release of those um uh, coded deployment artifacts into into um, your production or your operation um, environment, so having a single path that enforces all the you know. Right. So back in the day, it was ITIL, right? It was uh, it. Was, you had service management, you have change management, you had mm-hmm. lease management, you had all these processes that people were in charge of, uh, kind of executing, and you had to go to the change approval board to get something put into um, put into production and that and that sort of thing. Um, these days we still have those requirements but the idea is that automation takes care of crossing the t's and dotting the i's and you might have an approval process but it's part of your devops workflow or your gitops workflow Um, so you're gonna you're gonna have code that gets released from a repository and it goes through a bunch of tests. and once it passes the tests some somebody um, gets on there and uh, and makes sure that it uh, kind of passes all the requirements for release into the environment that it's being deployed into and they hit the approve button and then and then that um, uh, pipeline proceeds and and deploys the code or whatever right so that really that that ci cd pipeline and that devops pipeline is really a way of automating ITIL and your change management and your release management and, and all your, uh, your service management, um, kind of components. Um, so having a single path into your production okay. system basically means that if you want to deploy something into production, you don't get access. You Warner Chavez with your cloud account, um, you have to, you have to, um. Put a pull request into my repository, and your code has to, your deployment code has to get through my pipeline and get through all the approval processes to get into to get deployed into. And how
1: do and how do we handle like obviously a single path for code to get there is mm-hmm. something yeah you know it's automatable and whatnot. Um, what about when we actually need you know troubleshooting by ops personnel into production environments like people you know obviously some some companies are developing. Ah uh, privileged access management sandboxes. but I, I still don't see that widely deployed. It seems like when something breaks and we need urgently for a human to go into an actual prod environment, a lot of the times is you know kind of like the the security camera kind of like drops just for well, I'm gonna, sake I'm of, gonna of things done. Bad.
0: I'm going to challenge you on that, Warner. And I'm going to say that in most cases, when something breaks in an operational environment, it's because a human was already in there <laughs> in well, most
1: cases. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. But, agree. But in most we, cases it could be, yeah. but it's still, you might still need sure. that. So and a lot of people don't, don't seem to have that. these bastion servers. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you would think yeah. we would be recording what people are doing. We mm-hmm. would be key logging uh, ops teams when they go into production boxes, but sometimes or at least I still see quite a bit of just like, oh, the ops team, if you do need to troubleshoot, just just get in there and, and get it done, kind of thing, right?
0: Yeah, it's kind of a lazy way of doing it. To to be honest, though right. So the way the way that we the way that we should be dealing with that is to treat our environment as if it's an artifact and we release it having passed all the tests. Right. We release it into the environment with confidence that it's already been tested and that it's already stable and that we know that it's stable because it's been um it's the the configuration has been deployed and released in a development environment and then deployed and released again in a UAT environment. And the QA team has come in and kicked the tires and the business team has come in and um, and uh, and signed off on the functionality, and only then is it released into production. And by then, it's codified, it's an artifact, um, it's version controlled, and ideally, the way that we the way that we deal with a fault with a newly released version is we roll it back to the previous version that we know is stable. So we have a known good. Yeah, that <laughs> into production. And hey, I know I know that that's an ideal situation. That's easier I said than do done. Right? Yeah.
1: Infrastructure rollback is is quite complex for for a lot of reasons. It right can now. be for complex. People, it's really hard it to do
0: complex. Yeah. But usually, it's the data rollback and not the infrastructure rollback that introduces the complexity. Right? Yeah. So the so if you've got an environment or an application or a service that um that has a state associated with mm-hmm. it that's associated with some data around the environment that's the hard part to roll back. Yeah. Um the easy part to roll back is the infrastructure yeah. and the
1: Well, especially nowadays. If you have everything codified then yeah, you can redeploy for sure. It just doesn't yeah. mean that everything's going to actually work. Yeah. at that point.
0: Yeah. And so, right, so what do you do when um, when things blow up and somebody needs to get in there? Well, the the sad truth of the matter is is that most organizations trust a few people to go in there and fix whatever needs to be fixed,
1: right? Yeah. I still, like, I, then I still see that opportunity or, like, for example, in Azure, you have this idea, probably other cloud providers have something similar, where you can deploy uh, the bastion a uh, machine that is recorded, that is audited, like every action is audited. You can't just yep. easily copy-paste files in and out and all this other stuff, right? Yep. seems it should be even more widely used than it is, though, because I still see quite a bit of just mm-hmm. the, you know, the real hard-hitting troubleshooters, they do get, like, non-monitored access to they, their they environments.
0: And so here's the issue with those environments. Those environments tend to be tightly controlled. They tend to restrict the access of people who are under pressure to try and get things up and running and fixed. Um, People tend to not like them. They're an extra kind of hop or an extra step Mm -hmm. and you get a lot of pushback around it. Um, Also, particularly, right, um, I'm recording your session and all your activities are being logged. That's a lot of pressure to put on a human. Um, codifying the pipeline means that you don't have any pressure on a human. You have right, you have the CI/CD pipeline that you came through, um, and and so again, I, I'm I'm not saying that everybody can get there easily by tomorrow. Um, but what we should all be shooting for is is that one path to production ideal. Um, for exactly this reason, right? You have mm-hmm. um, you, you you have tested ways of of rolling back to previous releases when you need to, and everything is what we call um, item potent, right? From, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah from a from a a release perspective which just kind of means that instead of taking an action and possibly having a duplicate result like for instance if i have a script that creates a vm and then i rerun the script it creates another vm but if i have an item potent um, uh, code deployment there's a there's a state associated with it that allows me to say okay that VM already exists and I need to converge on the desired state and always end up with the same result. And that result is known good because I have tested it in my other environments and it's codified. And if we take that approach and trust in that approach, then gradually the incidents will slow down and gradually we will stop breaking things and we will have legitimate procedures that can be triggered through automation to recover our environments and that has to happen at every layer including right the environment's not special it's a it's a service and a deployment and an application of its own right it's a it it needs to be treated as first class um it used to always be that you had you know you had your dev environment and it didn't look like your uat environment Mm -hmm. and that didn't look like your prod environment because they were all managed separately and they were they were kind of these um these uh, these separate entities apart from the application that you were deploying into them. And often a lot of the troubleshooting that happened had to do with differences in the configuration of the environment that you're targeting with your service or your application that you're trying to, to consistently deploy because yeah. the application was an artifact. It was a jar file or an executable or, or whatever it was, right? and um and the environment was not it was something that was curated by an administrator and configured from a runbook and people make mistakes and there's differences and there's compromises right because Production, we throw the full budget against, but development yeah, yeah, have true. that budget, right? So we've got different servers, and we didn't get the up the licenses we needed to upgrade those. So they're running a different, slightly different yeah. version of the operating. Well, plan.
1: even even the what we right. talked about earlier, right? Like the, yeah. the security monitoring software, they're like, oh, we won't deploy yeah. that in dev, right? Because exactly. you know, it's just development.
0: And so the cloud actually helps us to get consistent with um, our environments and to get a promotable artifact um, out of our environments so that dev does look like UAT and UAT does look like QA and QA does look like, I got those backwards. Dev looks like QA, QA looks like yeah. UAT and UAT looks like production because we're releasing those environments as versioned artifacts that are that are released from our from our code right and if we get to that point and i'm not saying it's an easy thing to do if we get to that point all of a sudden our production incidents go down to nearly zero really quickly they might be right. We might have issues associated with scale, but if we did our, a good job in QA of testing our scale, according to our expected workloads and things like that, we can, we can probably do a pretty good job of minimizing, um, you know, production, production incidents and requiring that people jump into these environments. Okay. But then, but then, you know, going back to those kind of bastion, um, uh, a, a bastion approach to operating in in the production environment. Um, you know, I, I find that more than anything, what that does is it is it kind of annoys the person who needs to use that tool. First of all, uh, puts them under uh, more pressure, um, and uh, ultimately, um, it's a it's a way of ensuring that you have somebody to blame when something goes wrong.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, and, yeah, i guess in some ways people think it's also a deterrent for bad behavior right if you know that you're being observed then right you're, you're less likely to be dumb and, and do right. something right because i mean think about the typical yeah. uh security incident that's just caused by a disgruntled employee with a nice well, but, level yeah. of access right
0: and that's the thing right so uh, humans aren't just these um right um resources that also happen to be error prone and and make mistakes, but they have these awful things called feelings. <laughs> yeah, they can hold grudges. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, and 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 those feelings can uh, can manifest themselves in rather unexpected ways and you can't always test for them. <laughs> yes.
1: So well, that's another good point, though. So how do we <sighs> Everybody, probably in IT, that's listening to this, has done those security trainings. Like it's just inescapable nowadays, and and for good reason, right? Like let me, you at least have to have people cover the very basics of the knowledge of like don't open the emails that, that are offering you the free trip from Disney and all that stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Um. But but what else? Like, how else do you handle the human factor other than you know training? some surveillance uh, anomaly detection in terms of behavior is there anything else that we're missing
0: well i mean so building security into our job roles is important and and bringing that up right we we tend to we t- tend to look at our jobs as functional right make this work or monitor that thing or or what have you Um, but what we need to do is build into the workflow and into the requirements of the projects that we deliver the, um, the, the requirements that reflect our security best practices. So, uh, you know, best practices when you're, when you're administering things in the cloud, um, are, they look a little bit different than best practices, um. For on premises, uh, systems, because the cloud systems are a little bit different. We manage them via an API and we um, automate their deployment and uh, we tend to delegate control of certain things, right? It's very common in the cloud for, you know, a uh, a business unit within an organization to own and curate its own service applications um, because it's easier to kind of delegate than it is to... You know, have IT set up a server and configure and administer the application, right? If they've got yeah. to go and deploy the, if they've go, got to go and deploy the resource that the application is going to run on, then they're going to, right, apply the access controls and all those types of things. Whereas if we delegate that to a business unit and say, okay, you decide what application you want to run and you can deploy it over here on this VPC subnetwork um that that we've got um set up that has access to our on premises um
1: goes uh, back to that trade-off right between like self-service and convenience over yeah centrally managed uh security too right
0: yeah so providing good like people want to do the right thing for the most part right and providing good examples of how to do those things and providing um tools that allow people to self serve in in in, uh, ways that reflect um, good patterns and best practices is is important it's an important part of a cloud strategy. Um, Another thing is and this might not this is this is kind of related to security it's kind of financial security for the business right a common thing that we see in the cloud is that right i i give somebody in a in a in a business unit within the organization access to a project and they run up the cloud bill right mm-hmm. because it's all being funneled into uh you know the cfo's uh, credit card yeah yeah, yeah. account Sometimes right? and, then, and then we have to go and back and figure out, or okay, anything, Well, who right? did that and let, right let's let's go and shut some stuff down but there's um there's um delegatory models where right we can set up uh, a sub account and make that person accountable for what they're doing from a cost perspective and it's the same approach with security we can right we can um we can set up um uh structures and and organize our cloud infrastructure in a certain way that for example the owners of particular data are um, are set up as data stewards from an information security policy perspective, right? Um, and that there's a boundary around their data, and their access. They're um, they're uh, able to authorize access to their data actively instead of just trusting a person to come and pick it up from a central location that all the data engineers dropped, you know, the the data into. Um, for the organization right there's an actual data steward and they're responsible for going through some sort of an authorization function and then and then the. Um, the department or business unit that is accessing and processing that data comes in from another P, uh, from another um, uh, bounded area or organized area within the cloud infrastructure with a particular access and their access is audited and we know that they came in and got this particular data from um, this data owner or this data steward and that that access was uh, authorized and then we know that if we decide that they don't need that access anymore that there's a process in place that's governed by the owner of the data not the user of the data that says okay you no longer have access to that. Um, and then we can put policies in place um in in all the cloud platforms. there's the facility to apply policies that allow you to enforce what um um what users in the cloud environment can and can't do um, and they're not always a hundred percent comprehensive, but they mm. they allow us to kind of shake it down and uh, and make it a um you know a tenable problem basically how,
1: yeah that's a, that's a great point. so how do you? But what do you usually advise to people that look at like what is out there in the cloud and everything that you can deploy and then the whole problem of security becomes a little bit overwhelming, right? It's like an analysis, paralysis. Yeah. Um, so it's much a, things that you fire could host. do. But where where do you yeah, exactly? Even yeah. the even the never mind the actual security data, just what to do is another fire hose. Yeah. How do you recommend people start? Just start. I mean, you mentioned visibility is a really big uh, point yeah. right. Um, what are some of the other, you know, common first steps that people need to take?
0: Well, I mean, one thing is to start simple, right? Start with what you understand. Um, there's, there's this notion of I've got to, um, and, and I, and I really, I kind of disagree with it. There's, there's this notion that to get to the cloud, I've got to do this giant lift and shift migration, and then afterwards, I'm going to right tune my workloads and and yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah and, yeah. Manage adapter, for sure. and r- right and then i'll go native some somewhere in the future or whatever but the real story is that the better more cost effective and more secure way to do it is a little piece at a time right you can't you can't drink from that fire hose and get all the water down your throat mm. <laughs> you have to right you have to Build a cup and and try it and and see what you think. Right? So a
1: composable approach, right? Build a yeah. small piece, secure it, yeah. document, put your policies in, then build on top of that a little bit more. Yeah, what you want to
0: maybe. do is what you want to do is take an opportunity based approach to it, right? So um, identify the opportunities that you have to take advantage of um, cloud technologies and um prioritize them based on your business priorities right Mm -hmm. is it is your priority to save costs is your priority to be more flexible is your priority to scale those types of things and then and then take those opportunities and and apply your business priorities to them and then decide based on that prioritization what you want to do first what you want to tackle first like a lot of folks will say you know we got to get we got to we got a kubernetes strategy and we're going to microservices and stuff like that Um, you know we've got to get um, we've got to get a big cluster set well a a big advantage of the cloud is that you can deploy a kubernetes um, uh, environment a managed kubernetes environment that's version controlled and well configured and will Um, you know, take care with a little bit of thought, some of your scaling loads without without all the overhead of Mm -hmm. deploying an actual Kubernetes cluster or whatever. And so you can save, right, you can save a lot of operational overhead and you can save a lot of costs by running your Kubernetes workloads in the cloud. And so maybe you just start with that. But maybe, maybe free up some simpler. resources
1: to do some security work instead. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and maybe maybe it's even simpler than that, right? Maybe you start with a um, right with a cloud storage strategy. Right? It 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 can be that simple. Like uh, most of the cloud providers started out with basic um, compute and yeah, cloud storage S3. Kind of like the first right? thing, right? Right and and those those are useful services and they're low level. I I think of the cloud as like um, cloud services. I think of as Lego blocks. Right, you can build whatever you want, but right? Do you have the Do you have the right pieces? Right. So if instead of trying to build right the moon base and the spaceship with all the special pieces or whatever right out of the gate, right? Let's start with. Right. Let's start with a block tower and see how that works out. Yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, get 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 your policies in place there first. Yeah. Small. Get the, I call it a lot of it, you know, the plumbing kind of thing. Make sure that yeah. the plumbing is secure. Yeah. And then, and then compose yeah. from there.
0: And so, and the other thing in the cloud is that you, right. So you have this, um, you have this zero trust paradigm where all the um where all the access is authenticated and you know who's it like every api call is authenticated mm-hmm. with uh, with your uh, rest interactions your um your http payload has an auth header on it and and every api call is going to be um is going to be authenticated and so that's um that's a very useful um pattern but it's not the end of Uh, cloud security. That's just the identity piece of it, right? Mm -hmm. The other piece is the um, authorization and access controls. And uh, um, there's a notion that I like to um, um, espouse or communicate to the people that I talk to about IAM boundaries, right? So making sure that when you put your stuff into the cloud, it's not just in one big blob where everybody can kind of access it, but you keep um, you know, a granular access control boundary around your important data assets. For example, if you have private data that you need to protect, this notion of having it within its own project or or bucket or um, or or um, other cloud resource with a boundary around it that we allow um, mm-hmm. users to have access to as they need it. Right? It's the it's the minimum required. Um, Or sorry, the the principle of least privilege, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Making sure that there's somebody, if I put my data into the cloud, there's somebody that is a steward of that data that is authorizing the access and making sure that after the need to access that data is gone, that the access is removed. And in order to do that, I need to establish a boundary around it. In GCP, for instance, um, there's a notion of a a project, right? So I would put my data in one project and then the people that need to access that data, I put them in another project and then I give them access from that other project using a service account or whatever so that they can come in, read the data, process it and do what they need to do with it. And then the data steward, when that business need to access my data is over with has a procedure and a policy that removes their access
1: yeah just remove the The same as i do on
0: my on-premises resources and my on-premises controls work that way right and that's your information security policy is all about how that how that works right making sure accesses are removed when they're not needed anymore making sure that there's a steward assigned to each um piece of data that the organization um owns right and that they're authorizing access to it as a as a separate role or a separation of duties from the the people that are using and processing that data yeah
1: absolutely so all
0: all those things apply in the cloud as well it's just a matter of how do i technically
1: how do you do them differently yeah how
0: do i how do i extend my security perimeter and my security policies into the cloud from my on premises or what have you
1: and um, now, uh, you know, close, close to wrapping up here, I got uh, one more thing for you is how do you see this playing out over the next, you know, let's say, you know, trying to predict the future and technology is very, very hard. So I'm not going to say 10 years, but maybe the next the next five years, we know that cloud adoption is gone. Uh, parabolic but it's still a huge percentage of businesses that are not actually in the cloud Uh, even though people would think that uh, you know based on media and articles and whatever you think everybody's in the cloud already and everybody's even already doing machine learning and all this fancy stuff right but the truth is uh, probably most people are still running on-prem systems and they haven't even moved there like what is what is your prediction next five years in terms of Security trends, tooling—what are things people should yeah. be looking out for?
0: So two things, right? One is that that um, you know those uh, we, what we might call the stragglers, but is really you know the the forty or fifty percent of of businesses that are left that haven't moved to the cloud. Um, they're either going to realize the benefit of the cloud, or they're going to fall very very far behind. Um, I and I don't think there's going to be much in between there might be some very special business verticals or, or or boutique service companies and things like that that might be able to get away with without that sort of thing i mean i i can imagine that a you know a small construction company or something like that can get away with a you know a pc and the in the
1: boss's office well, even even there those right. people are using the cloud they just don't Absol- use they absolutely, just don't deploy dude. cloud infra right they're yeah. using it with all the saas offerings they use every day right
0: absolutely absolutely and and that's the thing like cloud is not just a cloud platform it's it's cloud services and online services that you can leverage as a small business as well right um, anything from right uh um your your accounting software like uh, and just your and email like that. even right yeah, email
1: all that kind of stuff right I so i haven't talked to an exchange admin so, in a very long time
0: and that i mean the main advantage to cloud this is the the paradigm shift here is that instead of a giant capital investment you have operational expense associated with your with your services and your application infrastructure right i don't have to buy servers i don't have to have a server room i don't have to I don't have to pay for cooling. I don't have I, all of that is built into the price, and it's operational. So, so all of my IT infrastructure moves from my capex on my um, right on my uh, on my uh, ledger from my capex section to my opex section, and that's the big advantage. Um, you're you're going to be consuming it like it's a utility mm-hmm. rather than purchasing it and writing it down like it's an asset. Um, so so that's the main difference and 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 businesses are gonna have to realize that that's right that's the that's the way that things go like you don't you don't build your own hydraulic dam or nuclear power mm-hmm. button, right some people have the
1: unless you're google yeah right?
0: some people have the solar panels on the roofs and and stuff like that um to to kind of offset but but that's more of a hybrid approach generally everybody's connected to the power grid and you're and you're using utility, right? So, so, so that's what the cloud is to me. It's it's infrastructure services and applications as a utility. Mm. Um, and there's an advantage to that over over the over the um, over the capex model. And that's that needs to be realized, or you're either slowly or very quickly in some businesses going to going to fall far behind. Fold back. Yeah. Then at the other end of the spectrum, with the um, um, with the adopters. Um, I see AI and managing cloud infrastructure in terms of AI models um, becoming very big. Um, The notion of security um, audit and engineering Mm -hmm. and uh, chaos engineering and things Mm. like that as an AI model, I think is going to become big. And I think you're going to start to see over the next few years, um, companies and services begin to start offering Um, At first, simple um, um, models that look at um, look at what's going on and kind of report back to you, Um, you know, point me at your cloud organization or your cloud platform environment. And I'm going to do all the um, I'm going to take all the sources of telemetry and I'm going to report back to you and kind of tell you what um, what's going on. And there's all there's already some kind of SIEM and reporting tools and stuff Mm -hmm. like that 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 are doing those sorts of things functionality know, so, is going to start coming along to say hey let me fix that for you and you're going to have these yeah IIs actually that that's are really kind of putting things up in the cloud for you um so i i see that as something that's probably um, going to come down the pipe from a security perspective
1: okay cool yeah yeah, that, that's going to be a really interesting arena for sure more intelligence built into all these tools uh we see yeah. it already uh most cloud providers as we mentioned at the beginning already have some level of automated monitoring or live detection threat detection right software that all that stuff is just going to get smarter yep. over time and it's going to learn more more people will go to the cloud to provide even bigger data sets for training for the cloud providers as well yep. right so that's another point so in- inherently uh as the tooling gets better in the cloud then i wonder if at some point you know on-prem the the tables might flip and on-prem will be considered less secure by default than a cloud deployment right
0: i would kind of argue that if you're if your cloud services and infrastructure are well architected that that is already the case
1: yeah it's just the big if that's all, because we still see people deploy like S three three buckets pointed to the public with yeah, with yeah. with uh, allowed anonymous guest access.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? If you give a if you give a jackhammer to a six year old and don't show them how to use it, then you can do a lot more damage than good, right? Yeah, but, but the, there, the
1: cloud providers know. are moving in a good direction because I yeah. see it way better defaults now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, so it's it's harder to shoot your own foot today than it was a few years ago, for sure. Yeah, yeah, um,
0: and that's continuously improving and, and good on the on the on the major providers for for making that happen. Um, one of the one of the providers that does a really great job of kind of default um, security is Oracle, um, the, the OCI cloud. You yeah. can you can actually go in and um, and select their kind of secured environment, and and by policy, you're not allowed to do dumb things. Cool. <laughs> <So
1: it's- laughs> mm, okay that's cool yeah all right okay well that's all the time we have for today folks um thank you so much for listening thanks a lot kevin for joining me today i hope you got a lot of good um tips tricks value out of this conversation security always a hot topic sure. and for everybody else uh thanks for listening and until next time have a good day bye bye
0: Navigating the Datascape.